Welcome to Talking Roadmaps, everyone, the channel where we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of roadmapping. Today, I'm joined by Dave Martin. Dave, introduce yourself for us, please. I'm a uh, product leader coach. I spend most of my time helping product leaders and founders of uh, early stage businesses learning how to scale up and uh, get their product function working brilliantly. Um, and, uh, you know, the roadmapping piece when you invited me on. It's such a key part of that, so I'm super stoked for today's chat. I think I saw the phrase fractional CPO on your LinkedIn. You did. Yeah, you did. I um, I uh, always have been nervous since I started being a coach and consultant that uh, you know I've become one of those people that no longer knew how to do the job. So uh, I always have a fractional role, and uh, I, that means part-time and interim. Um, I was fractional CPO for Content Cal. Uh, for the last year and a half, but we sold it in November to Adobe, and we've just finished that transition into the Adobe world. So I'm uh, rolling off that, and now just joined an exciting business called General Systems, doing some amazing data infrastructure work with geospace time stuff. We'd love it if you you know hit that whole like, subscribe, and bell icon to follow us. So I mean, let's get straight into it. What is the purpose of a roadmap, in your opinion? The number one most important thing has to be communication, communication and alignment. Um, those two things without the roadmap won't happen. While many other things the roadmap can do will can still happen without it, we won't get visibility, communication, and alignment. You hinted some others. Maybe you could uh, unpack a few more of the other purposes. Yeah, I, I there's a phrase I, I, I didn't use, make it up for sure. Um, I think I heard Jana Basto say it first, and she. Uh, to use the phrase, uh, it's a prototype of your strategy. And I love that phrase. I think it works so very well. Um, the challenge with that, though, is that most companies don't have their strategy articulated in a way that would allow you to know if the roadmap was a good or bad prototype. So I totally agree it should be the prototype of the strategy, but there's a, most companies have a piece missing upstream of the roadmap in order to make that work. I was asked for some advice on running a road mapping workshop, a really short one yesterday. And my first reaction was, well, have you got X, Y, Z, like vision, strategy, clear problems to address, your objectives, how you're going to be measured? Are they in place? Because if not, you've got no chance of doing a short session and actually having any value. But okay, so if we're communicating and aligning, who is it for? For the business first. I mean, lots of people show their roadmap outside of the company externally as a marketing tool and that's awesome and i love it when companies do that but we've got to remember that is a marketing asset at that point and we predominantly in product don't want to we're not marketeers specifically our job is to align the business and make sure we build the right thing and create the most valuable outcome towards our goals with the limited resources we all possess so uh i, I, would, I don't like the idea of the roadmap becoming an external asset primarily uh, it, it's, we've got to remember it's an internal tool to help our business inside the organization. But if we can, if our marketing teams can do a wonderful job of uh, using it externally, then that's even more even more value from the same thing. If we're articulating internally and perhaps you know, marketing or remixing it externally, who owns it though and who maintains it? A roadmap is definitely a product responsibility. Our accountability is, are we building the right thing? Are we generating enough value for the business? And the roadmap is clearly helping identify what we think is the most valuable next thing for us to do in an, in an order of priority. Um, and that's why it's a living document. That's why it shouldn't be so static, which is always a little tricky when it becomes a, 
hard and fast marketing um, asset that's committing you to things uh, externally for a long time in the for in the future. Because we've got to predominantly remember that as we learn about those problem spaces and progress, the sh- our learning should change our understanding. And there's a very high probability that that's going to mean the thing we thought was the most valuable next thing to build isn't the most valuable right next thing to build. Uh, in that instance, we have to have the we have to be empowered for the roadmap to be flexible for us to change it. And if we've if we whether it's committing to in, using it to commit to investors for the next eighteen months worth of resources, or using it to commit to external customers of what we're going to build, both as long as the commitment is fluid, we're okay. Well, if our if in six months' time we still deliver what was exactly on the roadmap, then either we deliver we're going to disappoint the customers because it wasn't what they really wanted, it was what we guessed, or we're just not learning. I guess is the other risk, um, which happens in many organisations. So, I mean, you already started hinting at it, so it feels like it's a specialist area. Vision, strategy, objectives. How do they link into road mapping? Yeah, I mean that space is definitely. The area I, we, you know, my company, right to left, working in the most is the space we uh, we help organisations with, and um, I think the the key there is that you know, we, especially smaller businesses like Series A businesses, VC back Series A, even Series B, they're often a single product business. So uh, what I hear a lot is, oh, we don't need a product vision because it's our business vision is our product vision. And whilst that's true that the business vision of a single product business will um, stray into the product side, what it doesn't, what it regularly doesn't do is provide the important experiences that we expect our product to deliver. The best product visions, not business visions, but product visions, which I prefer to call product concepts just to differentiate from, from business lingo, the best product concepts are uh, describing the experience we want for our customers. And whether they're and different personas within that, whether that's the end user or whether that's the company that pays for it in in B two B specifically, so uh, we need a clear product concept that really does articulate the experience we're trying to aim for, not just um, you know hard KPIs or or, or 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 market share percentages and all that lovely stuff that you'd expect in the business strategy. Um, from there, we normally go. St- we see companies go straight to the roadmap. What's the objectives we're going to do? And that's where I think the mistake happens quite a lot. We need that strategy piece first. And the strategy has got to define how we're going to, how we're going to deliver this value, of which many would argue the, the roadmap articulates that. But um, if the better where we found more value is articulating that strategy as something called the product VCP, the product value creation plan. And the product value creation plan, it's uh, a lot of words, but it's super simple, really. We look at, especially in B2B software, we look at what the what is the behavior we're going to change for the user. Because at the end of the day, all the product, all, every time we ship a release, which is actually what we end up doing when we create value, we change the behavior of a user. That's what, what we do. So we focus on what's the behaviors of users we're changing or could change to achieve that experience. And then we focus very much on how do those behaviors being changed impact the paying customer in a B2B software? That's our first value assumption. And then we focus on how does creating that value for the customer create value for us as, an, as, a, as a business? 
And that's our second set of value assumptions. So we think about those two sets of value assumptions and we define them, we write them down, we collaborate on creating them, we go and validate them if need be. We get really high confidence and alignment on those value assumptions. When that's in place and we've got that across the, a wide sector of the business, especially across the C-suite and leadership, we've reached a point where we can now say, well, if we all have agreed those key value assumptions and we know that they're the right thing to do and we that's how the product will generate value for the business and for the user and customer, we can now focus instead of on the value end, the business KPIs, which are always laggy, incredibly um, uh, interfered with from you know, lots of interference, hard to understand attribution of what's actually made them go up or down, very difficult to measure. We can now just focus on some value indicators around those user behaviors because we've agreed that those user behaviors are going to equal value at some point to us. With that in place, we can now look at building our roadmap because now we've got some value indicators that describe how we want to change user behavior to impact the business that we know generate us the goals, hit our strategic goals that we're trying to hit. So now value is no longer ambiguous. Value is now very concrete how product creates value. And it's a, they're typically leading metrics naturally because user behaviors are normally leading metrics. And we now have a plan to build that roadmap against. So now we can look at our efforts around the roadmap, what's the best, right next best thing. And when we have that typical value effort conversation that everybody has for value, for strategic bets they're going to put on the roadmap, now the word value isn't ambiguous. Now the word value is very concrete and strategic. And we've removed bias, quite a lot of bias from the phrase value. So when we're looking at value now, we can go, how does this strategic bet impact the VCP? Rather than let's have a discussion about its value. And what happens there, of course, is salespeople who, who are professionals are articulating value. That's their job. If they can't articulate value, they will never sell something. They obviously will have bias, strong bias in those conversations without the VCP, simply because they're extremely good at articulating value, nothing else. So we have to, with our VCP in place and clear definition of value in a way that product can actually impact now we can look at our roadmap and really evaluate and view it as a prototype of strategy. And uh, we're prototyping it against do these VCP numbers go up or down. I love that whole kind of flow that you just articulated there. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to watch this back myself and kind of dig into it kind of step by step. How do I take myself down that, uh, that path? The product concept as an alternative nomenclature to, to uh, product vision. Yeah, I can see how that would work. And because it was always a battle to almost even at business unit level in some places get a vision in place because oh we don't need it let's just execute i mean we have to recognize that uh, the, the tools i've just described you've got to be a business that wants to be a product business um you know and that is the first challenge we the space we work with quite a lot uh where, where we see this tool fly you know really generate value is where companies are at that pivotal point where their product leadership is growing like a, v, a series A business where it's their first head of product or their first CPO in place. And they've been used to making those decisions and that vision and all of that used to be, used to be the founder and in the founder's head. And they were probably doing that very, very effectively, but it, that doesn't scale obviously because it's in one person's head. So you see this point regularly where when a company tries to scale its product function, 
growth continues, so we feel good, but it's actually average growth. It's not high growth. And we, we see this point, and we, we call it the uh, this growth scale ambush, where at some point you suddenly realize you're not scaling at anywhere near the pace you wanted. You thought you were, but you, you're not, because uh, you've, it's a bit like a Trojan horse almost. You've had this average growth for so long, and then you look and go, well, we're, not, we're celebrating those short-term wins, but we're not getting anywhere near exponential high growth. And it's often because the prioritization of what we're building has suddenly become client client fit, not market fit. I we're trying to support getting big deals over the table, especially in B two B, versus the take markets market share. So uh, the VCP helps at that point to ensure we stop making client fit decisions and get back to making strategic market fit decisions. I'm sure there's some downstream artifacts that are linking to a roadmap as well. My favorite view is when uh, you hear Marty talk about it. Marty Kagan talks about um, the roadmap is really a set of objectives for potential OKRs. The idea that they're big strategic bets on the roadmap, and we're going to use those downstream to drive our teams with targets and goals, whatever framework you're obsessed with, whether it's OKRs or something else. I'm not religious about any of this stuff. But the, the fact that you're using the roadmap directly to drive um, outcomes. For, it's outcomes on the roadmap, and you're using those to drive the targets for teams to deliver for those cross-functional teams. That way, we're, we're ensuring that the teams are working on the right things, that it's strategic, everyone's got vision, visibility of it. We've prioritized that roadmap using the VCP, so we know it's strategically prioritized, not overly tactical, uh, by, which happens by mistake quite often. And the teams, therefore, are then working on the most important valuable things. And they can see how the value maps so they can be more empowered. Um, as soon as we start to drive, we make sure that we aren't mistakenly um, giving the teams the solution too quickly, solutionizing too early. And we have to make sure we aren't using the roadmap to solutionize too early and dictate to the teams because obviously we need them. If we want them to be empowered and we want them to innovate and do things in the marketplace, so game-changing then uh, and be bold, uh, then we need them to have that space. So let's switch gears a little bit and uh, let's think about the design of the roadmap, what goes into it. So what, in your perspective, are the key elements that go on to a roadmap? I think it depends, obviously, we talked about how it's been used downstream and what I, I typically, when I'm in these fractional roles, will have more than one version of the roadmap, more than one view of it. I would definitely have one view, um, almost one export of the roadmap, if you like, um, that is high level, doesn't show work streams, shows the, the big things we're trying to achieve that I'm using at board level for big strategic conversations and for, uh, you know, obviously creating confidence that we're spending the money in the right way and for getting more money. I think as we go, re, we want to re shape the roadmap that's a bit more work stream orientated so we can our teams can identify where they fit on it and hopefully that's around big themes um and, and really it will depend i think on the topology of our business um depending how how we're structured um i see some teams where their topology is all about the users or some others where it's about the, the one i hate the most where it's about the tech but then others will be about parts of the journey and or business goals so however that is 
articulate shaped we want to make reflect that in the roadmap so that individuals understand where they sit in it when they look at it um otherwise it's really hard for anybody to it doesn't create the alignment you know, i can't look at it and go oh this is how i contribute to this thing i think that's important internally less so of course for investors or if marketing are going to reshape it to go out the door we, we get rid of all of that um i think that we want what I am really keen on is that we don't have dates on the roadmap. Now, I, I, that doesn't mean we shouldn't, as product, be beholden to dates. Dates in the world of our world in product engineering is effectively how much money we spend. And we should be accountable for how much money we spend to deliver an outcome. That's perfectly fair and perfectly understandable that um, the business and the investors, decision makers at these ship want to have an idea of how much cash they're going to have to throw in to get the outcome. Uh, you know, and the, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't build a house. We knowing how much personally, without knowing how much it's going to cost us. We wouldn't just say to the builder, well, I'd like this beautiful house, but keep building it until you've reached there and I'll just pay the bill. Of course we wouldn't. So it is fair and correct that we have that planning process. But I think the important thing is that's not the roadmap's job. That's the job of a release plan. And that's why we should keep the two very separate and not confuse them. The release, a release schedule is a document that is where we are able to commit to when we think things will land and more detail over what it is, more detail over features. We're on the roadmap. We're articulating the problems we're trying to solve and the value we're trying, trying to create it and in which order its priority is. So the, the, you know, the typical now, next, later approach works perfectly for that. Uh, and that's the approach I always use. I do want to probe. Are there ever any times that you would include a date on a on a roadmap? Yeah, there is. Um, when I'm working in FCA regulated organisations and there's hard compliance dates, I'm quite comfortable not putting the date on the roadmap as a commitment, but putting the date on the roadmap as a as a constraint, so that we're all very clear. Like, um, you know, we might I've worked in organisations where we had to have we'd go through certain compliance changes with especially finance you know and there are certain outcomes that must happen by a particular date or we're gonna we've decided that we're not willing to take the risk of being illegal uh you know which is it's a business risk decision all on its own so uh you know typically we do want to be compliant and it's i think those things it's important the date is there so we understand that when we're making priority decisions and everyone's aware of it there are, but probably that would be the only one where i'd be comfortable having where the date is properly truly hard and fast yeah it's those hard externally driven dates sounded like not the commercially or deal driven dates though no most definitely not the commercially deal driven dates i mean and that's that's what the release schedule is for that's exactly what the release schedule is for um i think the the other thing that i'm and i'd love to hear what you think i'm not a fan of tactical items been on the roadmap BAU and I see some companies try and do that and I see no point in it personally for me it's we if we've got BAU work I'd rather us manage that separately and be very clear about the two um, like some companies will have you know onboarding customer X that's BAU that's business as usual that's not, that doesn't have a place on a product development roadmap if we we need a schedule and a pro they're, they're things that are projects like onboarding a new customer, supporting a new feed for this customer, 
getting them live, training them, all that jazz. That that is a project. Um, and I don't see the need to mix the two up. What it means is when we're planning, we know we have less uh, resources during that period, and that's going to impact the speed that we get through items on the roadmap. It's not going to change the order of priority on the roadmap. I can imagine some scenarios. You said you're interested in my perspective. For example, when it's those first 10 enterprise customers, maybe, where actually it's so strategically important and all about our our product market fits. So maybe I could imagine aligning some of that and that early adopter stuff there. Maybe just for the, again, talk, you talked about different views. Maybe is there is a view that has a bit more of that tactical stuff kind of almost annotated on it, not necessarily saying it's part of the roadmap, but kind of annotated around it for context, I can imagine, for that operational development team internally. That, that, that I guess, would be my, my thought there. Yeah, I could definitely buy into where, like you mentioned, the top, the first 10 enterprise clients, et cetera, you know, where you're actually, the roadmap item is about being able to support enterprise clients rather than, you know, the, the thing we're doing there is improving our processes and capabilities and features so that those enterprise clients can buy us that's a market fit thing there's probably more detail i'd hope than uh but uh that there may or may not be needed depending on the level of granularity and that's always i think a tricky thing how granular the roadmap goes um that's always hard and i think that's down to the maturity of the teams if you've got mature product teams to execute you can have broad guides broad guides on the roadmap if you've got less mature teams in working, then you're going to have to have narrower guides, and that's a leadership decision of how broad or narrow they want to go. We don't want to get so narrow we're dictating solution, but we the roadmap does provide us. So, so do OKRs and all these mechanisms. They provide leadership a way to pro- give guardrails to their product teams um, to help make sure they're going the right, to support them going the right direction and support them working on the right things. So I think whether it needs to be more granular if the guardrails need to be more narrow, which is the case when you've got young teams, teams with lots of new people, where there's a lack of IQ about the technology or a lack of IQ about the business, the domain expertise, for example, but um, or, or a lack of, you know, they haven't been working well together yet, they haven't got their, they haven't got their stream, et cetera, they haven't got into their rhythm. Um, but uh, when they're more mature and the teams are working well together, then then they can be much broader. What about how you visualize things on that roadmap then? What ha- any any favorite approaches there? I have to admit that my f- I'm a little bit biased. I use a product called Propad pretty much exclusively. Uh now, I mean I've known Jana, the founder of Propad for a very long time. I've known her since um she worked with me worked with me uh, the company before she uh, started the started it and her next venture after she left was uh was indeed to make propad not a prototype tool that we were using but a, a business, full-fledged business um so i always use propad um and so I, the way that visualizes it is, is nice i like the exports where you can easily reduce or increase granularity of information or or, or include, include objectives or exclude them and themes some of the annotation you just mentioned, um, and it's never a Gantt chart. It's always no next later. Some of the other product tools tend to favour the old Gantt chart, which uh, I refuse to use. So, um, 
I have to go back to Propad. So I guess that's the true visualization. I think the next thing is the actual words. And that's, they've got to be, you know, my view, we've got to make sure that those words that we're putting on there are outcomes rather than exact features, unless we're very concrete, very, very confident about the feature, then it can be a feature. If we're so confident, it has to be this. It's so obvious this is the solution. But uh, And there are places, times when that's the case, but um, normally it's an outcome, and I'd like to try and make sure we get those words in an inspiring way that's inspiring people to want to solve the problem rather than uh, you know, drag, boring, grey context we want something that inspires me and we remember that at the end of the day if we're helping change the behavior of users that we talked about earlier that means in some way we're, we're helping improve their lives whether it can be very bold how you know, if you're a health tech or a tech business you know you can be changing lives in a very bold way but if you're a whatever tool it is and you you create whatever product you're improving somebody's life some way so if we can try and make that roadmap inspiring to read um then that's a win so what do you think is best practice on a roadmap i think best practice has got to be keep it simple clear easy to understand um you want to avoid keeps of business lingo and you know, complicated words you know we want to write it stupid simple um and um we've got to remember that it's fluid that it is not this isn't stone. Okay, now let's go the opposite way. What about the biggest mistakes or anti-patterns you see on a roadmap? You want to avoid hard dates all over the roadmap that are fictitious and not not true hard dates. Um, I think that's a huge challenge. We want to try and avoid the uh, roadmap being a list of a wish list, just a list of features that we've already decided that are going to solve the problem. I'm not sure who's decided that, if it's jumped straight onto the roadmap and how, which is the obviously the mistake. In other words, it's normally the exec team, some leadership group in a room somewhere have gone, we should build all this stuff. It will change uh, our direction of travel. And that's almost certainly going to fail. So uh, keeping it, helping encourage serving and leadership by having a roadmap with outcomes. Um, when the roadmap is just a list of customer requests, and there are a few businesses I come across where, you know, CS get requests, customer success get requests for new, new features or sales get requests in, during the sales process for new new features. And all the roadmap priority processes is how do we order which of the, how do we order these new requests? Not should we build these requests? Not how is this going to help us actually generate a future income? which is most valuable for us or the business or the companies we're serving or the users we're serving, just how do we put them in an order? And when the, when the roadmap just becomes a list of feature requests from customers directly with no value addition in the middle, then, um, then we know again that there's no point having a product team. We're just a requirements gathering function like in a project management function, in a PMO function. And the worst outcome of that, which is the typical one in B2B software, is it means we're going to end up writing lots of lines of code that is only going to get 1x value. It's only get the value from one customer rather than us selling it to 10 customers. It's the same companies that when you go back a year later and try and put product uh, analytics in, 
you learn that most of the features are either used by nobody or only ever used by one client. Or even worse, one user in that one client. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yes. Yeah. In other words, yeah. And those that that there that leads us to a place where product has failed because we're not getting an ROI on the product engineering investment or not a very big one. And that's again when we get stuck in that average growth. We can see we can still grow year on year as an organization and deliver value to the shareholders, but it's average. It's just linear growth and any tech business at that early stage where we work with them, Series A, Series B, they, they, you know, the promises they made to their investors was never, i never seen a pitch deck that just showed a linear line for revenue. It's always a hockey stick. Now, I always like, Dan, what's your pet hit to see on a roadmap then? That's, you know, getting even worse. I see quite a few of these documents in different startups and different organizations. And I think there's two two key pet hates. The one is where it just looks like a, another business document that doesn't really reflect what the product team can impact. You know, where, where, for example, outcomes on it. Have, they've tried to do a good job and put outcomes on, but the outcome they've written is so broad and so hard for product to directly relate to. In other words, it's, it's not meaningful. It's not useful. Um, and so too much high level such as you know, make market share twenty percent higher. How is that? A, how am I going to do that? It's, it's a it's a little too high level. Um, and then the other end, even though I hate the dates thing, which uh, I can put up with it, but I can't put up with the features being sort of the solutionizing happening up front. It's the solutions that are really that really grate me. The dates I can cope with if if, if that's the the business isn't really made it yet to being a product organization and is still thinking project then fair enough they're on a journey and a transition but when the when we've said in three years time we're going to build this widget it's just complete bs it's just like well how in earth do you know that now that's that's rubbish and the problem with it in those organizations that are on that transition and it's normally businesses that have got the data or else we wouldn't know it was three years time on those organizations that are in that mindset and on that journey from project to product or or maybe a better phrase is from client to market, stop thinking about the client and start thinking about markets, then it's if the features are listed out in such granularity and such clarity for so long and so concrete, so far ahead, it it just shows that the product function is pointless. There's no, it, may not, it may well not exist because we've already committed to what we're going to build, whether it's the right or wrong thing. So I don't really know what a product team is doing in those organizations. Just thinking about, you know, we've been listening to your advice, your thoughts. Who advice do you listen to about road mapping? Oh, great question. And, you know, I listen to everybody's advice to start with. I think um, and that includes customers I work with, and, you know, everybody. You're always learning, and there's an opportunity from everybody to pick up some new nugget, an exciting thing. Um, I've mentioned Jana a few times. She's probably my go-to person when I'm thinking about roadmapping challenges. Um, yeah, in fact, she definitely is. She's my go-to person on roadmapping always. Well, we all will check in to see what Kagan's views are at some point for sure. Um, and Petra uh, in Hamburg, she, who the author of Strong, she's got great views, great experience. Always great to chat with her. Now the hardboard question. If you had to distill your philosophy on road mapping down to one or two sentences, what would it be? 
It's a prototype of strategy. That's sentence one. Simple, stupid, so everyone can understand it. There you go. Sentence two. What should I have asked you about roadmapping that I haven't? The roadmap is, if you truly use that roadmap as your plan for the product function, you know, it, it's effectively your, uh, it's, it's how you're going to operate. Um, I think it's important that we remember that if that, if we're using it as that, as an artifact to drive how the team operates and works, we've got to remember it's got to reflect where the teams are at. So it's easy for us to go, hey, it's got dates on this is wrong, or we can moan about features and customer requests, or BAU being splattered all over it, which feels meaningless. But if the teams are on a journey, they can't. We can't expect in the people in organisations and ways of working to change overnight. But we can change a document overnight. So we must make sure, it, as we improve the roadmap, we improve it with the journey the team is going on. What 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 looks like an excellent roadmap for a highly mature product function in a product focused, product driven organisation where product is at the DNA of the org. What, what what that looks like, which we've been talking about at length today, we're going to we can't expect that to work for a business that's not in that place yet. Um, so I, I would encourage people not to try and rip up their roadmaps and rewrite it to look exactly how it should for one of those organisations when they aren't yet one of those organisations. Let it evolve with you on your journey. Absolutely love that insight, Dave. That's that's like gold dust right at the end there. Here's your here's the last little chance then, Dave. Please give us the pitch for right to left. Oh, the pitch for right to left is easy. We help businesses build that product VCP you just talk, we talked about earlier, um, and then we help them execute and help product leaders run and execute product teams that are trying to scale and avoid that um, scale growth ambush. So you know whether it's coaching or whether it's one of our consulting programs, um, we've got a solution to fit all budgets. Dave, it's been wonderful chatting to you today. Really loved having you on the show. Thank you very much. Just a reminder to everyone else out there, please do like, subscribe, hit that bell icon, follow us so you hear about updates. And if you'd like to sit where Dave is and have a chat with me or Justin, please do reach out either in the comments or via info at talkingroadmaps.com. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Phil.